0: to the saints that lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden for eight years and was paralyzed. And Jesus and Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord there was a Joppa disciple named Tabitha, which means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she fell sick and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, entreating him, please. Come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he had come, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. Then turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, rise she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa.
1: Let us hear the Holy Gospel. Peace be with you all. And with your spirit. The reading is from the Gospel according to Saint John. Let us be attentive. time Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, in Hebrew called Bethesda, which has five porticos. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool, and troubled the water and whoever stepped in first after the trouble of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and he knew he'd been lying there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is troubled. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your pallet and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his pallet and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who was cured, It is the Sabbath, it is not lawful for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, The man who healed me said to me, Take up your pallet and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your pallet and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See you are well, sin no more, let nothing worse befall you. The man went away and told the Jews, Jesus, who had he of him? He speaks to you who proclaims the gospel.
2: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Suffering is the universal language of all of mankind. It's universal because no one can escape from it, or from knowing how it's going to manifest itself in its many forms in our life. And I know that all of us who are here today can attest to the fact fact that suffering is known to us in many ways. It's experienced within a person physically, emotionally, psychologically, and even spiritually. And suffering is something that the devil will even use to try to get us to turn away from our Father in Heaven. And he does this really by tempting us to question whether or not the suffering that we are experiencing is a lack of God's love for us. He uses suffering to turn us away from him. And even if it's not our own suffering, he'll use other people's suffering or what we witness in other people's lives to turn away from him. But the irony is that the suffering is also something that God permits to draw us closer to him. And really the difference in whether or not we allow suffering or this universal language to drive us away from God or to draw us closer to God is really about trust. Do I trust in God? Nearly 40 years ago, my godmother, a very dear and faithful woman, gifted me with three things that I I wear around my neck and they hang on the chain that I have to this day. One is a cross that she obtained from the city of Jerusalem, and then there are two charms which she commissioned to be handmade by a Russian craftsman. On one of the charms, she had inscribed the letters IC, XC, and IKA Jesus Christ Conquers. And this was to remind me, she said, of the resurrection of our Lord, who defeated the final enemy, which is death, and that in him I have eternal life. The other charm that she had handcrafted for me simply has the message, trust in God. And that phrase has meant different things to me at different times in my life and throughout my life. She would remind me of the passage in Matthew, which reads, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask of him? In other words, trust in God. He will take care of you. She also reminded me often of another passage in the same gospel, Matthew, which reads, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? And how by worrying, even for a single hour to your life, how will that help you? In other words, Trust in God. He will take care of you. These passages, she would say, she she would tell me, are really proof of God's love and fidelity. And she always reminded me that He never, ever, not just will go against His word, but He can't go against His word. That when we read these passages, we have to believe them with all of our heart. We hear a lot of things in life. We hear a lot of people making promises. We hear a lot of things that can be encouraging. But we struggle sometimes, I think, because we have doubts that sort of cloud our thinking. And they find their way in there. But when it comes to God's message, and as she would point out to me, the things that he says, the ones that I just mentioned to you, she says, you have to believe them. Because it's impossible for God not to fulfill them he would have to go against his own word and he can't do that. It's not that he won't, he can't do that. I know at at times it's very hard to make suffering in life. Like all of you I know this experientially. In fact I really believe that the very fibers of our being reject suffering and death because we're created in the image of God. We're created for eternal life, we're not created for suffering, and so when we experience suffering or witness it in others, it doesn't make sense to us. This doesn't mean, however, that suffering can't be used to help us draw closer to God, because in fact it can and it will if we allow it. Suffering is something that we're going to experience throughout our life. It's not something that we can escape. What's so important though is how do we understand it and how will we make use of it? There are three passages in scripture that I want to weave in today's gospel reading because they make me make sense of or they help me make sense of this particular passage. They also help me make sense of understanding this universal language. As we look at the passage in today's gospel reading, we see one of millions of examples of suffering. This is the account of a paralytic who lays by this pool of water that every once in a while an angel will descend into it and stir up the waters and the first person to get into the water will be healed of whatever infirmity that they have. And this particular man had been laying there for a long time. And it always amazed me at the paralytic's tenacity, his persistence, and really his hopefulness. Because this man was there for 38 years. Can you imagine sitting just on the edge of a pool for 38 years, and when the water would stir, the best he could do was to turn his head and look at the stirring of the water. But because he was a paralytic, he couldn't get himself into the water. And for 38 years, nobody around that pool or walking by, nobody offered him a hand to help him into the pool. I don't think I could have even lasted a few weeks. Personally, I probably would have been very discouraged and asked someone just to take me further away somewhere else because seeing it and knowing the potential of what could happen would never happen would be too much for me. I wouldn't want to be reminded of that. So this man had a tremendous amount of hope and he was very persistent. So the first passage in Scripture that comes to my mind when I read this story and to help me make sense of it is from the Gospel of St. Luke where we read... By your patience, possess your souls, or the new American Standard Bible would say, "By your endurance, you will gain your lives. This man, as we look at him, was extremely patient and he endured this for thirty eight years. We, we, we make account of and, and, and look at the life of job, and we see at the suffering that he had to endure. But really the blessings that God bestowed upon him. There are many, many other accounts in in, in the scripture that speak to that same suffering. But the hope that lies either within the person or somebody very close to the person. Whether it's a group of men lowering another body down through a roof. Whether it's a father or mother taking their child to Christ. Or just going to Christ and saying that their child is home and sick and dying. But we see this sort of faith and this sort of hope in people. And there's a lot of patience that come along with it. These people are, are, are not giving up. And so our Lord is telling us in, the, in this particular passage that through our endurance and through our patience, we will be victorious. And that healing people may not always be physical as much as we would want it to be. It could be emotional healing, it could be psychological healing, certainly spiritual healing, and certainly for the salvation of our souls. The second passage in scripture that comes to mind and that helps me make sense of suffering is from the book of Isaiah. Where he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Last night, I had dinner with my wife, and we were just talking about the recent events and, and things of which you are now uh, aware of, especially her physical challenges that lie, uh, lie before her. And we were having this conversation about suffering and, and uh, how do we approach this and how do we make sense of it and, 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 and make meaning, find meaning in it and this was one of the passages that came to my mind because we try to rationalize in our making sense of something and often we fail short and we say I can't make sense of it I don't understand I don't know if I will ever understand and this passage came to my mind because it points to the fact that God's ways and God's thoughts are not ours We have an opportunity, I'm not going to say we have to, but we have an opportunity to trust in that with God, that His ways are not our ways, and His thoughts are not our thoughts, and thank God they're not. I would be very afraid to worship a God whose thoughts and ways are the same as mine. (laughs) But I take comfort in the fact that the all-knowing, ever-present compassionate, loving, merciful, kind God is in charge of every second of my life and all that happens and all that doesn't happen. And I trust that in His way, all that's happening now will bring glory to His name and ultimately salvation to us. The third and final passage in scripture speaks not so much about how or what, but more about who. So the first passage addresses sort of the how. Through patiently enduring you will possess your soul. The second passage addresses more of the what. That God's ways and thoughts are not my ways and thoughts. And now we come to this who. I am comforted by the fact that I don't worship a God who sits on a throne and has never experienced any sort of suffering. This is is a huge stumbling block to to, to many, many generations. That we have a God and worship a God Who isn't just in a far distant land called heaven and sits on his throne and looks over us and sort of observes all that's going around. But we worship a God who sent his Son to take on our flesh and to suffer in that flesh to the point of crucifixion so that we have salvation. And so the third passage comes from Hebrews For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who has been tempted in all things, as we are, yet without sin. The God that I relate to is a God who has suffered much. And in my own suffering, I know his understanding is through that suffering. Not that God would need to have to experience that, but for me, it helps. Because I know that in my weakness and in my fallenness, I would question, does God really understand? Does He really know what I'm going through? How could He possibly know what I'm really going through? He's never been on earth, He's never had to suffer, but that's not the God that I worship. I worship a God who became man, who suffered and who was crucified, who died and rose so that I could have eternal life. These passages help me to understand the meaning of suffering. I know that suffering is a part of this life, so it's temporary. I also know that the devil can use suffering to make me question God's love and to turn away from him out of anger. But I also know God will allow me to suffer, so that I turn to him and say, Lord, you know everything that I'm experiencing, because you have suffered even more things than I have suffered or will ever suffer in this life. So I know that you understand, and I take comfort in that. This man who laid by the pool was extremely patient, and he endured. And God blessed him for that. Because as he came along, he asked if anybody had helped him. And he said, I can't get into the water. No one helps me. And Jesus simply said, rise up, rise up, take up your pallet and walk. That, people, is not miraculous. What's miraculous is that it led that man to proclaim, his, proclaim him as Lord and God. And the miracle is that he was saved through that belief. We put a lot of emphasis on the physical. And how we want to feel better. But honestly people, if it is God's will. Otherwise we wouldn't have saints. Saints who even prayed for suffering. Let alone not asking to have it. We have a beautiful saint in St. Paisios the Athenite. Who prayed to have cancer. Because he wanted to experience the suffering of millions of people. He wanted that type of connection and solidarity with people. To many people, that's insane. That's crazy to ask for something like that. Yet he was living on a plane that most of us will never reach so don't try to make sense of that don't try to understand that but his love for people was so great it was it is it is in line with the thinking of god himself who came down took on flesh suffered for our sake i want to close with a um, with, with some words that someone shared with me over the past week uh, I've received many many text messages and emails from, uh, from many of you very loving, very thoughtful and kind emails uh, regarding Teta's health and, and the upcoming changes in our life and subsequently changes in your life as well but one of you and you'll know who you are in a minute uh, kindly reminded me through the words of Father Zacharias of a very important truth one that summarizes the message that I'm attempting to pass on to you this morning. And it's very powerful. He says, we are reconciled to whatever the future holds. We are reconciled to whatever the future holds because we trust fully in the wondrous exactness of God's providence. We are reconciled to whatever the future holds for all of us because we trust fully in the wondrous exactness, the wondrous precision, the wondrous perfection of God's providence in our lives. Having prepared this homily and having read that passage, the little charm on my chain Trust in God has taken on new meaning.